This podcast and content posted by Dr. Judith Joseph is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast or website is at the user's own risk. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, professional coach, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional diagnoses or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical or mental health condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Dr. Michelle Henry is a board-certified dermatologist and surgeon. She established herself as a prominent figure in the industry and serves as CEO and founder of Skin and Aesthetic Surgery of Manhattan, as well as the founder of the Henry Research Group. In addition to her private practice, she holds the position of clinical instructor of dermatology at Weill Cornell Medical College. Dr. Henry specializes in microscopic surgery and cosmetic surgery. She is a leader in the field of cosmetic dermatology. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Dr. Henry. Dr. Henry, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and being in this safe space, this tiny safe. <laughs> I love it. It's so cozy. The decor is lovely. So thank you for having me. I've been following you for years on Instagram. And you are one of the very, very rare, I think, rare Black dermatologists. And I just love seeing diversity in medicine. We need you. And your expertise is just so important. So tell us about you know the ties between mental health and skincare and what you've seen across development because you treat children as young as 10, you treat adolescents and adults, and then people who are older and going through all these transitions like menopause. So how do you see mental health show up in the skin across the developmental spectrum? You know, in, in many, many ways. A dermatologist, we often laugh that we're part dermatologist, part psychiatrist, because there's a lot of, you know, the mind-body interface is so tight and so many manifestations on the skin, particularly in anxiety. So a lot of anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of that we see in even children. So I see trichotillomania even in children. Now we're seeing body dysmorphic disorder. And I'm seeing that as early as middle school, which I think is a consequence of social media and being flooded with information and not education. And a lot of people aren't really oriented to understand what they're receiving. So we're seeing a lot of that. Like even with acne, we have like acne excoriae, which is like neurotic acne. So a lot of my even younger patients that are anxious, they'll pick their acne, scar their skin obsessively. We see, you know, even standard skin conditions flare with like stress and when people are under duress. So things like psoriasis, eczema, acne, of course, hair loss. We saw so much hair loss during COVID, not only because of the virus, just because of the stress. Many, many skin manifestations as a consequence of mental health. Those are all big words. Those are big words. Let me let me break them <laughs> down a little bit. So um, acne excoriate is kind of how it sounds. It's like excoriating your acne. So it's neurotic acne. So it's from picking and pulling and prodding. And we see it in individuals who, are, who have high anxiety. I think all of us have had like a pimple or something we just can't keep our hands off of. But those who have some anxiety disorders are more likely to pick and pull and they will tear their skin and it can become, you know, disfigured, infected. It can be quite serious. Trichotillomania means to pull your hair. And we see that also in anxious patients and they will pull their hair. They will lose 25% of their hair. And what we see when we look at the scalp, you see very bald, clearly bald areas with kind of like jagged edges. So that's how I can tell really quickly that this is from pulling, but we see it a lot and it's easy to hide. You know, I have very high functioning, you know, CEOs that come into my office and they're always wearing a high bun and they're wearing a high bun because they've pulled their hair off. You know, they may have, it might be three or four inches gone. And so that's trichotillomania, which I think is 
definitely underrecognized. And people are ashamed of it, right? Absolutely. They, I see this in my practice where like people will be like, Dr. Judith, my stylist saw this patch of hair yeah. missing. Yeah. And like, I was so embarrassed. I didn't even know I was doing it. In some cases, people do it in their sleep. The picking, you know, and that satisfaction that you get. We mm-hmm. all have been there with the, the scab that we yeah. just kept picking because it felt good. Exactly. But that's physiological, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, it's the gate theory. Like, when you pick at something, it's actually soothing. But after a while, it becomes like not helpful and it's harmful. What do you do with your clients who have that urge to pick and they feel a sense of satisfaction? They don't understand why they do it. What are things that you can provide to them as a dermatologist, as an alternative to that picking? You know, it's really tough. I lean on a lot of my psychiatry friends and um, psychology friends for that as well. Part of it is A, helping them acknowledge it's happening. So like you said, a lot of people don't know they're doing it or they're like, you know, I touched my hair, but I don't really, I'm picking my hair. So sometimes the first thing is to like acknowledge the problem, right? So that we can then solve it. You know, sometimes in my office, I will actually use topical steroids. Sometimes they help. Sometimes I'll use medications that are in gels or um, like silicone patches because it will actually cover it and kind of creating that barrier will help. And then we talk about, you know, different tools they can use to reduce their anxiety. So even fidget spinners will help, you know, anything to kind of keep their hands off of it. And then, you know, in some patients, they just can't, then they have to be on oral medication, oral anxiety medications. Yeah. Sometimes it's a team approach and I have to call up my dermatology friends and consults and be like, we have to work on this together. I'll do some of the cognitive behavioral therapy. If you provide some topical things to ease that or alternatives like creams and so forth, that can be helpful. You got to look at it from all angles, right? And then what else do you see in terms of depression and anxiety in your patients that manifest in the skin? Again, so many of our inflammatory conditions can flare in that state. So eczema, seborrheic dermatitis, which is a type of scaling we get on the scalp that flares a lot with anxiety, with depression, with hospitalized patients. We see that whenever you are, you know, remotely immunocompromised, it can flare as well. We see a lot of sometimes just overall poor skincare. You know, when patients are depressed and it's hard to even get out of bed, they're not cleaning their skin. So we see buildup of dirt and debris. And sometimes I'll have patients get out of that that time in life and they're like, I have this really dark patch. And really we call it uh, terra firma. It's just dirt, you know? <laughs> it's like- What is know, it? It's just dirt, like buildup of dirt. And you, you said know? terra- We call it terra firma. Wow. <laughs> it's just like just a lack of self-care when a lot of patients are depressed can manifest in any ways. I had a gentleman recently, he's- the cutest little man, 83 years old, and he came in like clawing at his skin. Like he's like, I don't know what this rash is. His wife had passed recently. Literally just we pickers, we call them pickers nodules, these little bumps you get from like obsessively scratching. Yeah. And what happened is his wife would put his moisturizer on every day. Yeah. <laughs> so she wasn't there to put it on. He wasn't taking care of himself and he was just severely dry and it, you know, and itching and scratching and it manifested in that way. So there's many things that can occur. You know, with depression, we see hair loss with depression as well. And poor nutrition. One of the symptoms of depression is not eating or eating the wrong things like, you know, overeating. And so that can affect your skin because we know certain foods can cause the skin to react. And then not having nutrition can cause dryness, dehydration. Probably the two biggest changes we see with poor nutrition are going to be hair and nails. Yeah, if you're if you're not adequately orally hydrated and you're truly dep- um, dehydrated, you'll see dryness in the skin. But the big ones are the hair and the nails. Whenever someone comes in, you know, we start to see 
excessive hair shedding. We start to see changes in the nails. They can become brittle. Skin can become dry. Eczema can flare as well. Those are the big ones. Acne can flare, especially when people are, when they have a poor diet, if they're just comfort eating, you know, so that happens a lot. Some people are eat a lot when they look depressed and yes. some, you know, kind of go the opposite direction. But for those that are eating a lot, we see a lot of acne flares. You know, patients who eat a lot and we see a lot of weight gain, we can start seeing things like intertrigo. You know, when you start to have those larger folds, you're not caring for yourself, we can see yeast build up. So we can see that a fair amount as well too. So yeah, lots of manifestations. I recently treated someone who didn't really see the correlation between taking care of your skin and your self-esteem. And you would think, oh, that's so obvious. But when you look at someone, if you don't feel good about the way you look, you don't make as much eye contact, you don't want to go out as much. And you'd be surprised at the boost in confidence when you start taking care of your skin. And the skin is the largest organ in the human body. So why do so many people neglect it? It's hard, you know. I think there again, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of misinformation. A lot of people just get overwhelmed. You know, they're receiving so much they don't know what to do, and they kind of give up. I have patients that come in and they're like, "I only wash my face with water. Everything scares me. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing." They're just overstimulated and they don't have guidance. So sometimes people don't do that, and I think they don't realize what a change it makes. So I tell a lot of my patients, or when I'm teaching residents or lecturing, that we are just in the business of empowerment in many ways. You know, and so when people look better, they feel better, they do better, they're better at home, they're better at work, they're better with their kids. And then they get that feedback and they feel even better. And then now they kind of are wed to this wellness and or beauty quest or journey, right? Because they're getting such positive feedback. And until you step into that, I think a lot of people don't realize how much it's affecting them. You know, there is a lot of information. I think I, I love one of my like unwinding tools is to just look at these get ready with me videos. Yeah. I love to look at fashion uh-huh. I love to see what people are doing with their skin. One of the things is that you see so much conflicting information, right? Like do this, wash your face with cold water, wash your face with hot water, use this cream, use this serum. What's the basic? Like what are some of the basic basics that we can all be using that's actually evidence-based in terms of like the real get ready with me? Yes. Yeah, so the real get ready with me. You, <laughs> you don't need 12 steps, but if you like it, that's fine. Because I kind of find skincare to be kind of meditative, you know, it's just kind of nice. You're doing your 12 steps. It's a moment to be away from your family, be away from your kids, be away from your work and just kind of be with yourself. Right. So if you like it, I won't poo poo 14 steps, but you don't need it. You know, so really the things you need, you need a great cleanser. So a cleanser that is appropriate for your skin type. So if you're oilier, you may want something that's more of like a a gel-based cleanser, something like a foam-based cleanser to really get rid of dirt, oil, and debris. If you're a little dry, you want something that's cream-based. You want something that's pH-balanced because, you know, a lot of people think of cleansing your skin as kind of a throwaway step. It's really not. It's prepping your skin for all of the other steps in your regimen. So it's equally as important as everything else. A great cleanser, great moisturizer, and then your sunscreen right? Now, if we're going to step it up a notch, those are like the basic essentials to make sure that your skin is healthy. If we're going to step it up a notch, which I think most of us should, right? Then we start thinking about our targeted treatments. So for specific skin concerns. So if your skin concern is dark spots, right? Which especially a lot of um, women of color, that's something where you're always thinking about or always preventing against. So then you may want to introduce a serum. So something like a vitamin C serum. It's easy. It's tolerated by most. It's also going to protect you from the environment, which is only getting more harsh, right? As uh, as as we're getting more pollution, ozone, and whatnot. So thinking about environmental aggressors is really important. And then let's think about anti-aging, right? So uh, I always say, you know, of course, 
10-year-olds don't need to think about this, but starting in your 20s is a fantastic time to start doing things that are protective and preventative. So adding a retinol, if you can, is something that's really great. It's going to help to fight any residual acne. So if you still have some adult acne, that it will help with that, but it's also going to help with any anti-aging. So those are the, the basic steps. Cleanser, your moisturizer, a targeted treatment if you need it, and your sunscreen is an absolute must. And one of the things I recently learned was that, especially depending on the industry that you're in, for me, I'm in psychiatry, so I have to be like super expressive. But sometimes that expressiveness can cause, you know, rapid formation of wrinkles. Not that there's anything wrong with wrinkles. You got to embrace your age and feel empowered. But for some people, there are certain parts on your face that, you know, you just overuse and you yeah. don't know. And in other industries, if you're exposed to toxins in the environment, let's say you work outdoors and you're in a city and there's smog and so forth, you got to think about those things. And I recently um, learned that when you're in front of like devices, that there's light from devices that can harm your skin, right? So there are all these different things that you can think about. So industry-wide, what are, what are you seeing in terms of different industries? So yeah, so light, so blue light in particular has become a big conversation. The LED lights that we use, they preferentially emit in like the blue spectrum, right? And, the, and we also get a ton of blue light from the sun. So we're always exposed to blue light. So blue lights become really interesting because there've been some studies showing that both UVA, which is kind of longer form of UV light and blue light can cause hyperpigmentation particularly in darker skin types. So there was a big study that showed that if you use blue light on darker skin and light skin, um, lighter skin doesn't get hyperpigmentation, but darker skin does. And it's a different type of hyperpigmentation than we see with UV light. So it's kind of a different pathway that's going on. And our skin actually sees blue light. So similar to the receptors we have on our retina, we have them on our skin and it actually sees the blue light and responds to it, particularly in darker skin. So blue light is real. Um, it can affect the skin, especially for people who have pigmentary conditions. So things like what we call melasma. So what melasma is, we used to call it the mask of pregnancy. So it's kind of that dark patches you get on the cheeks, oftentimes with some sort of hormonal exposure. So pregnancy or birth control, we see it more in women of color, but I see it in everyone. So if you have those sorts of concerns or you have dark spots, stay away from the blue light. A good trick to protect yourself, there are tons of products on the market that can protect you from blue light, but tinted sunscreen. So the tint that we use in a lot of products is actually a blue light blocker because it's mineral. And so that there, it's iron oxide. So that kind of helps. So blue light is real. Because different skin colors and pigmentations happen, we have to think about things in terms of diversity, yeah. right? Like one of the things that I was introduced to later in life was like the laser hair removal, because to me, I'm always like, I want to do things naturally, but the laser stuff, those yeah. are, that's a game changer, it's right? A game changer. I've done more lasers than I should admit to myself, right? <laughs> I've done everything because I have so many patients of color and I say like, if someone's getting burned with this laser, it's me first. I'm not going to burn my patients. So I try everything I use. I try myself and we have a ton of devices in my office. Of all of the things I have done, I will say laser hair removal probably changed my life the most. It changes your life. You're beach ready at all times. You know, it's like, it's one less thing to worry about. And if you're getting, if you have curly hair and you're getting ingrown hairs, it can really change your life and make you more comfortable. So laser hair removal is an absolute game changer. That was the thing for me was the ingrowns. Like I have curly hair and like, 
not like getting those ingrowns can be so pesky. They can get infected and black people deal with that, you know, a lot more than other people do. So having a way to just get rid of those and to do things in a clean way, that's sterile, that you don't get an infection. It is a game changer. Anyone who's listening, just like, you know, check it out. Watch some it's videos. It's worth it. Over the course of your life, you're actually saving money. And if you think about getting ingrowns and you're getting big scars and now you're getting dark spots and now you're getting keloids and now it's just embarrassing. So it is the best investment I've ever made, but you have to do it before your hair turns gray. So as a laser can't see gray hair. So you want to make sure you get it before your hair starts changing. Absolutely. And also you get a lot of these coupons saying like, get it like in a bundle. But if somebody's not aware of how to treat darker skin, they can actually hurt you more. So do your research. Oh, absolutely. I had a gentleman came to my office a few years ago, but he had all these scars on his neck. And I was like, what happened? So he went to some spa and had laser hair removal and it was so painful. And he said that they told me I'm a baby because I'm a man. That's why I'm crying. He was crying because he was getting actively burned (laughs) with the laser. So they lasered him and send him home with all these ice packs so he gets home takes his ice pack off touches his his beard and there goes the skin oh my ends goodness. up in the burn unit at the hospital oh just goodness. awful now with scars so these lasers can do lots of damage in the wrong hand so make sure you're going to someone who has done many 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 cases is very comfortable with your skin type and also don't be afraid to like advocate for yourself and ask have you done this on my skin type? You know, anyone who is comfortable with doing this should feel very comfortable in asking. That's not being aggressive. Just make sure you get all of that information before you put your eye protection on and let someone take a laser to your face. Another person I go to for my laser, she always asks me, are you on your period? What stage of your cycle are you in? And she's a nurse. You know, she really knows what she's doing. What are the different ways that your hormones can affect your skin? And I'm talking about your period, your ovulation, When you're in perimenopause, when you're in menopause, what are the different ways hormones affect your skin? Yeah. So we know that, you know, in the perimenstrual area, when our hormones are kind of in flux, we definitely get acne. So that's some of the hardest acne to treat is actually hormonal acne because we can do things like Accutane and whatnot. But with hormonal acne, that push is still there so aggressively. And so it doesn't always help long-term. In that perimenopausal period, not perimenopausal, but perimenstrual period, we start to see acne flares a lot. And with lasers and treatments, you're more sensitive when you're around or on your your, your period. So that's always something we think about. That's probably why they're asking. Because they want to know like, how much is this person going <laughs> to wiggle today? Should we switch their cycle so we're not falling on this day every month? We do that in the office because it's a big difference in your comfort level. And then when you're in the postmenopausal period, we're thinking about things like melasma, right? Your hormones are changing. And so that's more of when we start to see a lot of these pigmentary concerns or, you know, these dark spots and your skin gets really dry. And so once you're in that perimenopausal or menopausal period, you're not making as much oil. Your skin's very dry. You're more sensitive. Your skin's thinner. So you might be more likely to have irritation from products. And so I have patients that are like, I never had sensitive skin. And then I turned 50, you know, and then now everything makes me sensitive. I can't use fragrance. And that happens because our skin is losing some of its protective properties as we get older. And I've had Uh, patients who are black women who come to me and they're like, people can't even tell that like, I'm in my fifties and I look great, you know, black don't crack. And I'm like, don't believe that. Uh Huh? That's why I say, I say black don't crack, but it might sag and sink 
and shrink and fade. <laughs> like it does lots of things. Mm-hmm. And it's a harmful it, trope because exactly. a lot of times black women are at the end of the range in terms of the healthcare that they receive, the mortality rates. So that black don't crack, it hurts us. It does. And it, and it creates an unfair burden. So a lot of women feel like I can't get this. This is not what black people do. Um, black, my black doesn't crack while she's actively watching her black crack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she doesn't, she can't like, mm-hmm. she doesn't feel empowered yeah. to get treatments because this is not what we do. So I remind everyone that we're not these like magical, you know, the whole magical black woman trope. Like, no, you're allowed to be vulnerable. You're allowed to fix the things you don't like. You should be able to take full advantage of all the treatments that everyone else in the world is taking advantage of because you deserve it. Yeah. Our melanin helps us. Yeah. But at the same time, we are the people who go through menopause the earliest, the longest, our health outcomes in terms of being pregnant, our mortality rates, you know, cancer rates in, in some cases. So we really have to take care of ourselves and not believe that trope. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're black and beautiful, but we have, you know, to take care of our health from the inside out. Yeah. And there are some ways that we actually may age a, some some portions of our structure that might cause us to age earlier in some ways. So like in the middle of our faces, we tend to be a little bit flatter. So when we start to lose fat in our early 30s, we might age more rapidly in terms of getting that sunken inness, getting that hollowing underneath the eyes. So like in my office, I do a lot of fillers and Botox and everyone says, well, how did you get to a place where you're doing so many under eyes? Like I do a ton of eyes, you know, a lot of my patient population, that's where we're aging. And it's a function of our structure. And that happens as early as your early 30s. So we do age <laughs> and we can fix it. Well, you do it all. You do research. You have a booming practice. You treat skin across different cultures. We're bonding a little bit earlier about our Caribbean roots, your family, and you're from Grenada, from Trinidad. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times, even within our culture, it's like, well, you know, we use our oils, we use this, we use that. We don't need all that stuff. What are ways that we can honor our culture and embrace, you know, modern technology at the same time? That's an excellent question. You know, it's all about balance, you know? So certain things like my mom would always drink black sage tea, right? That was her beautifying tea. It was anti-inflammatory. It did everything. It helped to clear her skin. It also helped with her, God knows, the laundry list of things that it can help with. (laughs) But it's all about balance, you know, and knowing what things might put you at risk, you know? So certain botanicals you may not want to put on your skin, you know, that might sensitize you in the sun that might cause rashes. It's just about balance. And I think it is important because skincare is personal. You know, it's the one thing we do for ourselves every day. And if you can honor your heritage and remember your family in that moment and do something that feels good for you, it's additive, right? It also depends on what your culture tells you. Because there are some things that I guess historically do that are nuts. (laughs) We should not do that. (laughs) And there are other things that are great. So like slugging came out and everyone's like, oh, slather. It's like, we've been slugging since God knows when. We've been using, you know, Vaseline and not Aquaphor, but Vaseline and variations of that for a really long time to lock in moisture. We've been using things like shea butter for a very long time to lock in moisture. We've been using different natural oils for our hair for a very long time, right? So there's so much good, but it's just about, you know, that balance between like science and culture to make sure you're doing what's best for you. I don't know about you, but I think we figured out every way to use that coconut. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. I always ask accomplished people like you about a time in their lives when on the outside, everyone thought they were doing so well and they were just, you know, accolades upon accolades, achievements upon achievements. But they knew that deep down, you know, there were challenges and there may be struggles that they were dealing with and how they got through that. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. I'm sure you would say the same. I think that's part of 
what we do to be in medicine is to do that, right? So as you say it, I'm like, what am I not doing that, right? Like, I feel, I feel like that's every day of my life. Um, but the most recent moment that stands out is probably when I was starting my practice. So I started my practice during COVID. And then prior to that, I'd worked for 10 years in other large groups. And I was le- leaving a very difficult practice, which is really hard. You know, we join, we work in certain places, we, we respond. We respect the people we're working with. And I think as physicians, we're pretty idealistic. We're looking for like the good in everyone and we expect everything to go well and everyone has the best of intentions and it's not always the case, right? So kind of making a transition and then also starting my practice. And I always wanted to start a practice, but also being hyper-conservative, you know, as physicians, it's like everything has to be perfect before you do it. But then when you really do it, you realize you just have to jump and figure it out on the way. And that's the only way to do it. Because even if it's perfect, you're still jumping and figuring it out on the way. Leaving a practice, making that jump, I built my space um, from raw space during COVID when construction was shutting down and I had to like drive to Boston to pick up my floors myself. And like, I had to, people laugh. I'm like, I know everything about my practice. I know the adhesives that are holding down my floors because I negotiated everything myself, right? So that was a hard time. Like doing that, knowing I'm leaving this practice, um, going to work every day, balancing COVID, being afraid for, you know, my mom quit her job to come and help me. And now she's being in New York City, which was the epi. She left Texas, which apparently COVID didn't happen in Texas, right? (laughs) To come to New York where it's, you know, everywhere. It was just a really stressful time. I think what helps me is kind of what we always do. It's, you know, putting your head down and knowing it gets better. You know, you know, it sounds kind of trite, but, you know, trouble doesn't last always, right? I think other things I do is finding those moments for myself. So even if it's like 10 minutes, so I meditate a lot. I do TM or transcendental meditation. And then if t- sometimes TM can be a mental lift. So if I'm not, if I'm not doing TM, then I'll do guided meditations, but meditation helps me a lot. And just being in nature helps me a lot. So I love to be outdoors. So I would even like just take a day trip upstate, you know, just to be outdoors or when I was driving, take a drive. Just making sure that you carve out those moments, whether it's 10 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour. Those little moments that you make sacrosanct for yourself, I think it really helps. So a dermatologist, a board-certified dermatologist saying that imperfection is beautiful, right? And then finding support in your family Mm -hmm. and leaning into the challenge, right? And just having that faith is so important. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can we find you? What are the things that you have in the works? Yes. Yeah, so there's uh, a lot in the works. Um, I wish we were doing this podcast in three months. I can give, give you all the goods that are in the works. I can't give all the- We just the... have to have you back Yes, then, you I'll know? come back. I'll send an update. I'll do a video update. Like it's time before you launch. Um, but I am, I practice here in the city. So I'm at 56 in Park. My practice is skin and aesthetic surgery of Manhattan. So it's a boutique dermatology practice. And we do lots of cosmetic procedures as well as- liposuction, hair transplant, so the full range of uh, procedural cosmetic dermatology procedures. And we have a research group where we're doing lots of projects to help optimize aesthetic procedures, particularly in skin of color. I teach at Wild Cornell. I am also working on a book right now. That's one of the things soon that I will be able to talk about a little bit sooner and later in the top of the year and some other interesting projects that once I can, I will send you an update and I'm very excited to share. Well, we only scratched the surface here, so we're having you back. So thank you. 